Welcome, everyone, to the penultimate week of our Who Is This Man series. Uh, for the past few months, we have been asking, who is this man Jesus? Who is it he spends time with? How do they treat him? How does he treat them? And ultimately, how can we be more like Jesus? And uh, I'm not going to lie, I kind of worried I was running out of people to talk about. <laughs> we've We've this was originally going to be like a three-week mini-series, and I realized that there's just so much to talk about and so many beautiful and wonderful and illuminating interactions that Jesus has. So we've talked about these different groups, about tax collectors and zealots and Pharisees and disciples and women and children, the masses, the hungry, those with exceptionalities, those with diseases. We've talked about his family. We've talked about his enemies. And I was like, who's left at this point? <laughs> So then I uh, did what was quite bold, and I opened the Bible. I thought, give that a go. And uh, unfortunately, uh, God is very gracious. It didn't take me very long to talk about uh, someone that Jesus spends time with that we haven't talked about yet. So if you would join me in Matthew 4, verse 1. That is Matthew 4, starting at verse 1. It says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but by the word of God, that word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot on a stone. Jesus answered him, it is written, do not put your Lord the God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him and angels came to attend him. So that's right. Today we are going to talk about the devil or Satan or the enemy, or the morning star. It's not entirely clear, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so if it's like your first time here, you might be thinking, this is a bit more intense than I was expecting for on a lovely summer morn. Uh, but hopefully, we're going to keep Jesus at the center of things, and when we keep Jesus at the center of things, it usually makes them a lot less scary. We probably all have an image in our head as to uh, what the devil might look like. Uh, some of us might be thinking of a tall red guy with horns and cloven hooves. Uh, some of us might have a kind of idea of a, of a beaten up angel. Some of us might think he's a bit like snaky, uh, possibly a bit like a sea dragon sometimes. Um, but what the devil looks like isn't actually really as important as what the devil is trying to do. Uh, so let me talk about that for a moment. And to do that, we're going to go back to the beginning. But I mean the very, very, very beginning. Page one of your Bible, Genesis 1.1. It's, it's literally page one. Like, I can't. Like... 
It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. This is a point in creation that is not good. And it is not good, and God does not call it good because it is not good. But if you know Genesis 1, and if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to give you a quick run through. There is a point when it is not good, and God says it is, or does not say it is good. But then God introduces light, and he says that it is good. And then he creates the land and the waters, and he calls it good. And then on the third day, he creates plants and trees and seeds, and he calls it good. And then on the fourth, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars, and he calls it good. And then he creates the birds and sea creatures and calls it good. And the next day, he creates the animals and calls it good. And on the final day, he creates humanity, and he says it is what? Very good. You fell for the trip. He says humanity is very good. It was good before, but now it's very good because humanity is part of my creation, says God. And God's intention for creation is really explicit in Genesis 1 that God and humanity and nature exist in this relationship in perfect harmony. That's the desire. That's the aim. That's, I think, where we're heading. And it's where we were. But it doesn't take very long for something sinister to slither its way into this perfect creation. And the first words we hear from the serpent in the garden are, did God really say? Did God really say? Doubt is introduced that maybe God didn't say what God said he said, and then things get messy quickly. And the serpent in the garden is our introduction to the kind of spiritual rebels of the Bible. And the desire of spiritual rebels in the Bible is always the same. It's that desire to drag things back to the beginning before God and humanity and creation lived in this harmony, in this shalom, it uses, peace amongst one another. The desire is to drag things back to emptiness and lifelessness before things were called good or even very good. And we see instances of these rebels popping up all the way through Scripture. And That's kind of one of the reasons it can be tricky to pin them down. It can be tricky to work out exactly who it is or what's going on. Often they're not even given names. And probably one of the reasons for this is that they don't deserve names. They haven't earned that right to a name. Instead, they get titles. So they're referred to as the devil. And devil, that word, is is really for someone that uses damaging speak. In, In Titus, the word diabolos is used to refer to gossips, people that use words in a way that is harmful. Uh, The Satan, which is the Hebrew word, it's pronounced like Satan, I learned that this week, is the Hebrew word for adversary, someone who speaks against you, someone who isn't on your side, someone who's trying to get you to do things you don't want to do. This is why Jesus calls Peter a Satan when Peter says, like, you don't have to die, though. Surely you don't have to die. No, get behind me, Satan. That's, <laughs> you're trying to distract me 
You're saying I don't have to suffer. Uh, we see, so we see the devil and the Satan, and we see the morning star. That's one that comes up. This is kind of, I'm excited about this. I learned this this week. So thousands of years ago, when people looked up to the sky, there was always one star that shone the brightest just before dawn. Like kind of as if it could take the place of the sun or as if it wasn't quite willing to give up <laughs> its place for the sun. And we call that star Venus. And we know it's Venus. And so one of the names that's given to these rebels, one of these people that think they can take the place of the true light is the morning star. Right? Isn't that interesting? And so Lucifer, for what it's worth, it's just Latin for morning star. It's like literally all it means. So it, it kind of, it was a title, and then it became a name when we decided that the Bible was better in Latin. It's like literally all Lucifer is. So there's many titles, but there's, there's really only one purpose, and that is to draw us out of relationship with God. It's to bring us back to that place before relationship and leaving us to ask that question to, did God really say that? So let's go back to the desert. If, if you are open on Matthew 4, just indulge me a second and look at the verse immediately before Matthew 4 begins. I'll, I'll read it out so you don't have to be there. But Matthew 4, which begins, he's led by the Spirit into the desert. The verse immediately before this, before this temptation, before this struggle, before this hardship, says this. A voice from heaven said, this is my son who I love, and with him I am well pleased. And immediately after that, those lies begin. Did God really say that? I think it's important to note that whilst the first tempta two temptations are very different, they both begin the same. If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. If that voice was real. If God really said that you are his son and he loves you. The first thing the devil tries to do is undermine Jesus's identity. Because because if that works, then then it's kind of all for nothing, isn't it? Uh, in John John Milton's Paradise Lost, which is an old and not particularly enjoyable to read poem about the rebellion of the devils against God. I mean, it is bizarre. Interestingly, he basically says this is the devil's last shot. Like he doesn't think he basically thinks that once Jesus resists the temptations, it's too late. Like he's on his way and we can't stop him anymore. And so notice how similar those words of the rebels are. The serpent saying, Did God really say the devil with if you are the Son of God? Did God really say that you're my beloved? Because if you're not the son of God, then you're probably not going to be the one that restores humanity's damaged relationship with God. And then things can't be very good again. I think the devil's aim here is clear. If Jesus doesn't really believe he's God's son, and with him he's well pleased, 
that maybe those rebels can win. Maybe this can go back to where there is no life, where there is darkness, where there is formlessness, where there is chaos, where there isn't relationship. But sometimes it, it can be hard. <laughs> and I think a lot of us, I'll, I'll speak for myself, uh, I get my identity undermined a whole lot <laughs> by, uh, by the voices of people that maybe don't love me. Even when Ashley is saying like nice things about me a second ago, I was like, Ugh, I feel uncomfortable with it. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Uh, a friend of mine who recently started coming to the church uh, came at me the other day and was like, I've got a theological question for you. Great. Love theological questions. They're my jam. He's like, how do you know it's God speaking to you? I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Ask me one about sport. But, but uh, and I don't, I don't have a perfect answer to this. Uh, but the closest I've got, uh, having thought about it a lot, it's like, what is that voice saying? What is that voice telling you? What is the voice saying that you are or telling you who you are? Because if it's a voice saying, did God really say he loves you? That's, that's not coming from God. Is, is that voice asking you to do? Is that, is that voice asking you to do things that don't look like patience or kindness or love? And that, that's probably not from God. And, and we've been looking to Jesus for months now. So let's look to him. Like if that voice is telling you to act like Jesus, if it's telling you to feed the hungry and clothe the naked, if it's a voice telling you to stand up to corrupt authorities who, who dehumanize the least of these, then you should listen to that voice. Because the worst case scenario here is even if it's just you, I think God's going to be okay with it. <laughs> like, oh... This person just made the world a more beautiful place for no reason. <laughs> I think God beams at us in those moments. This is my child who I love, and I am well pleased. Is it a voice telling you to love yourself and love your neighbor? That's, that's likely God. If it's a voice trying to undermine you, then maybe not. So, yeah, I'll, I'll finish that with a question. Like, what, what is that voice that you're hearing, I suppose? Like, does it sound like the kind of things that Jesus hears from God? Is it more, did, did God really say that he loves you? But because that voice isn't coming from the one who loves you. And honestly, just don't worry too much about the lies of people that don't love you. <laughs> if we could all live that way. The enemy, the rebels, they, they all try to undermine your identity and, and bury into you that lie that God didn't really say that. Did God really say that? Listen to the one that loves you. All right. So the second, and I think really intriguing part of this, and I'm not joking, I have like four sermons worth of stuff on this. <laughs> like I needed to do a series on just the temptations of Jesus in the desert because it's fascinating. But the thing I think is like most interesting, so we're going to talk about today, is that 
the devil quotes scripture. The rebels know the scriptures and they know them well. And we see how well they can twist scripture here. I think the order of the temptations is interesting in Matthew's gospel. It begins with the devil saying, if you are the son of God, tell the stones to become bread. Like, surely you're hungry. Just give in. Now remember, this is, it's not like Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus makes tons of bread for people. That's one of the things he's kind of famous for. Uh, but when it's just for his own benefit, he's, he's not willing to. When it benefits those who are hungry, he's, he's all about miraculous bread. But, but not him. And he responds, as we might expect Jesus to respond, with Scripture. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's from Deuteronomy. And so the devil steps up his game a little bit here. The devil says, okay, if you're going to quote Scripture at me, I'm going to quote Scripture back. Let me hit you with this. If you are the Son of God, see again. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the temple. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This is from Psalm 91, which is a wonderful psalm about God's protection and provision for God's people. And the devil weaponizes Psalm 91 in a way that will lead Jesus away from God, away from that mission he has at hand. How about you just don't suffer? How about you get fame and acclaim an easy way? The devil twists something beautiful into something terribly damaging. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, um, but who here has had scripture weaponized against them? Has had scripture quoted against them that leave them to question if God really loves them. And I think if I asked for a show of hands, uh, we'd be heartbroken by how many that went up. So my next more piercing question, <laughs> which I'm definitely not going to ask for a show of hands for, is how many of us have maybe used scripture in a way that has hurt people? Have maybe had people ask that question, did, did God really say he loves me? Because scripture is true and it's powerful, but because something is true and powerful doesn't mean it can't be weaponized in, into something terribly destructive. And, and that's what the devil is trying to do here, taking scripture out of context to create harm, to drag things back to that place where there's no relationship, where there is no life using what was intended to reveal the truth about God and the love of God, and instead trying to drag Jesus back to that place of lifelessness. Like, history is not short of people who have done similarly. And, and sometimes this is intentional. And, and sometimes I think it's done with, with really good intentions, that People are trying their hardest. They, they're doing what they think is best, but, but harm has been done. And that question has been asked, well, does God really love me then because of those choices? Hey. 
it's, it's funny. Ashley asking me for permission today is like, I feel very uncomfortable when anyone asks me for permission to anything. My attitude is like, look, if God's got something for you, I ain't going to get in the way of that bad boy. <laughs> but, but for how long was Scripture used to like keep women quiet in churches? And still, still in churches. There's like a YouTube channel that keeps getting recommended to me about like a church where women aren't allowed to speak. And I'm like, your algorithms are off here. <laughs> the the preacher also has like an, an elder, like a man either side of him with a microphone, who like agree with him into a microphone every time he says something. So if we could set that up, that would be dope, actually. Just like just encouragement as I go. <laughs> but but we've we've weaponized scripture and instead of looking at Jesus. <laughs> And, and if those churches were only looked to that risen Jesus, whose first instructions were what? Telling women, saying, go and tell the men about me. And that's pretty clear to me, <laughs> that Jesus has given women permission to tell men about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus told them to. Scripture has been weaponized against people of color despite Jesus' radical love of the foreigner. Scripture has been weaponized against our queer siblings despite Jesus' radical love of the outcast. Scripture has been weaponized against the powerless despite Jesus' promises over and over again that the first will be last and the last will be first. So the problem isn't that people don't know their Bible, it's that they don't know Jesus. Someone quoting scripture might not be as much of a testament to their relationship with Jesus as we've been told to believe. Like, again, slavery is biblical, but it ain't Jesus-like. And if that voice is, is dragging you back, back to that place where you aren't God's beloved child, then it isn't from God. Like, did God really say that you're mine, that I love you, that I'll never, ever, ever stop? Yeah, he did. Absolutely. This was, like, designed to make people feel better than I think I feel right now. Um, <laughs> so I will certainly end on what I hope is, is a positive. As I said, like, I think that John Milton Paradise Lost thing is interesting, that, that this was... Maybe the enemy's last shot of really winning forever. And sometimes we really need to remember that we are on the winning side because it doesn't feel like it sometimes. And I know that one of the great privileges of my role is people sharing their struggles with me, and I'm so honored by that. But sometimes we struggle to remember, and sometimes we do ask those questions, like, did God really say that? Because it doesn't feel like it. If I am God's child, what, why is this happening? And, and you know what? It's okay to ask those questions too. Like, don't, think, don't think we're ever going to silence you. Don't think there isn't space in Scripture to, to ask God, like, you said you love me, and yet look at this. And so we struggle, and I struggle, and I know you struggle. But, but this shows us more than anything, maybe, that Jesus is the victory, and, and victory might look different in Jesus. And it's won in a different way, but I'm going to 
I guess this is like a soft ending to the series, but like scripture tells us who Jesus is over and over and over again. I think the way that Jesus tells us most perfectly who Jesus is is in uh, Philippians 2. So I'm going to quote that. And it reminds us that every knee, even the rebels will kneel. It says, be like Christ who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee, every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, every knee under the earth will bow. Every brother and every sister and every sibling, every disciple, every zealot, every tax collector, every Pharisee, everyone who hungers for food, everyone that thirsts for justice, every parent, every child, every prisoner, every victim, every prostitute, every person with any kind of exceptionality, every angel, every rebel, every demon, every tongue will answer that question. Who is this man? He is Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we, we pray that we'd be able to hear your voice more clearly. And Lord, we pray that it, it drown out any of those lies that come from places that aren't from you. Voices that do not love us the way that you love us. Voices that seek to drag us out of relationship with one another, out of relationship with creation, and out of relationship with you. Lord, we are thankful for your supremacy. We thank you and we look forward to that day when every knee will bow. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.